0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Now, Onyx is an app that goes on your phone and it allows you to do a variety of really cool things. Now, if you are a hunter, all of these things are important. Whether you hunt public land or private land, it allows you to do some pretty cool things. One, look at topography. Two, look at satellite imagery right? It is a digital map. Then all of the other stuff on top of it is key, leaving waypoints behind that allow you to know where sign is, where trails are, where deer bedding is, or any type of game movement. It allows you to find trailheads. It allows you to find landowner information, whether that piece is public or private. Just imagine driving down the road, seeing a big buck in the field, Finding out who the landowner is, knocking on their door, getting permission, and then going and hunting it. Or finding out it's a piece of public ground that you didn't know about, then being able to go and hunt it. Onyx Maps offers a variety of different functions for the everyday hunter. And I feel it's something that every hunter needs on their phone And uh, it's very helpful. So if you want to find out more information about Onyx Maps, go to onyxmaps.com and enter the discount code NATION20 for 20% off your purchase for new customers.
1: Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Hey guys, welcome back. Um, Another Habitat Hero hunting podcast, whatever you want to call it. Pretty much all blend together at this point uh, in the year because we're traveling like crazy and doing different things and you don't hear many podcasts with Matt and I together. Um, So... Matt is recording with Seth Harker this week. So if you want to hear them talk about some of Seth's hunting, uh, he's had a phenomenal week and a half here. Um, His son, Trace, shot a really nice buck during Missouri archery season. And then a few days later, shot a nice doe during the Missouri youth firearm season. And then um, as of yesterday... Uh, which would not be yesterday when you're listening to this, but, uh, the 8th of November. Um, always think think of that song when I say that. Um, but on the 8th of November, um, Seth shot a buck he calls Whiplash. Yeah. And I just, and the angels were crying. (laughs) That's a, the song lyric, 8th of November. Um, anyway, uh, so, they're talking about that. Seth is a phenomenal hunter, phenomenal land manager, has a lot of great things going on. 157 and some change on this buck, just a beautiful, was it a mainframe 10? Yeah. So, uh, I guess you, you don't need to introduce yourself, but I will, um, so my brother's on this week. Uh, to talk with me about habitat hunting and blended it all together for a uh, 30 minute podcast here as we discuss kind of our hunting strategy so far and then uh, how habitat has changed our hunting strategy. So, this is a habitat focused podcast, but there's going to be a lot of hunting content it's, involved in it. This is just It's a early plant. November. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing. Like, people look at us for. Uh, mainly habitat advice, land consulting advice and how to set up farms and food plots and warm season grass establishment things like that. But we're still pretty I would say pretty salty hunters as well. <laughs> um and so you're going to get some of that I guess force fed if you don't if you came here for uh habitat advice. Um so Chad um you got anything you wanna say before we get started? No, not really. I'll just say uh, before we jump into discussing um this is for you guys that own private land and maybe dealing with struggles or figuring out ways to hunt your farm. This is things that have, have evolved from Chad and I. So Or
2: or I guess are discouraged with a slow slow growth in deer numbers or oh, quality yeah. deer.
1: Yeah. So before we get started, just want to thank our uh, sponsor, Make This All Possible, Stratton Seed Company out of Stuttgart, Arkansas. You hear us talk a lot on the podcasts and videos with different blends, heritage, legacy, um, soybeans, all things food plots. Go check them out. Go com. So this has been a very interesting fall. Um, we had a... And by interesting, I mean got cold a lot earlier than normal. If if you would have
2: told us at the beginning of October the weather that we would have up until now, we would be jacked up. Yeah, I mean, like, it's going to be on.
1: If you were to ask me, like in August, to say, hey, draw out the temperatures and the weather you want in October, we'll make it happen. I would like, okay, well, what, how much? How many cold days do I get? Nope. Draw it up exactly how you want it. Well, I don't want it to get cold and stay cold. I like to see those little bounces. I want it to get up to seventy one day and drop to 40 to me, the, the next to day. To me, the
2: changes are the key. It change it's all totally. in the change. It's any of the changes where it gets warm and gets back cold. Yes, yeah.
1: and it can't go too cold or it like freezes them up. And then it's like that first little bit when it kind of warms up, but it's not as warm as it was two days prior. It's and we uh, don't
2: normally deal with that too much before firearm season.
1: We had a frost October 13th this year.
2: I mean, generally, the the getting really, really cold and looking for those first few warm days afterwards of that late season.
1: We've, and we've dealt with it. We're going to have that Monday. Monday, Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Where midday may be the best day to hunt or m- best time to hunt uh it may not be even good to hunt monday because it's supposed to be 14 degrees or something like that the temperature's gonna drop all day long and there's guys up north going 14 big whoop. that was the, that all last week that's what our lows were different different di- uh, it's just like people that doesn't those temperatures don't bother you up there your deer move so what same thing's happening down here where It's like, man, it's really cold. Deer doing the same thing. It's like, ugh. I was not prepared for this. We're
2: we're not even seeing the movement we expect on camera.
1: No. I said it last week about how the backs the link I can usually judge how well the deer moved based on the amount of emails we got during the night. And if we didn't get but two emails, movement was terrible. If we had four emails, five emails, movement was good. And um, lately... We haven't had that. Last
2: night was the first night we had a little bit of a I think we had four a emails. And,
1: and donuts had been missing for a week and he shows up. Yeah. Um so last night was a good good movement. <laughs> um and so it definitely there's a, just a lot of different things that I think uh as a private landowner and and hopefully this isn't for it's for a lot of people, but it's really focused on the guy who's got that one piece of dirt turf um, or one farm that he owns that that's where he hunts a majority of the time. And the difference in really, okay, this, when you're hunting one farm, it's a marathon. It's like, you can't get over ambitious. You can't You, you get, get burned out really, really fast. Not just you, but your property. Yeah. And and I think that's a, we see that so much with smaller properties or even, you know, our farm's 282 acres. The lease is 400 or something like that, probably more when it's all said and done. But it would be very easy for us to blow that farm out and just overhunt it. And it doesn't take that many hunts to do it. If, it's an, if those hunts that did it were very intrusive. Yeah. And that's why,
2: like, well, I've discussed, I mean, off this week, discuss going to hunt public ground a little bit. Yeah. Just to not only give the farm a break, but to give our minds a break. I mean, it's one of those that, I mean, every morning and every night, we've been like, where are we going to go? We've got two or three spots with this wind. Where do we think we should go? Yeah. it's It can be pretty... Mind numbing and frustrating, all in the same thing. It's a
1: very like, it almost feels like you're going through a like a puzzle, to where there's a lot of pieces, and when the like a three day stretch of hunting the farm, you're almost brain. Your brain hurts because you're thinking so much. Okay, where's my scent going? Where's my enter well, and exit?
2: It could be a totally different ordeal if we were seeing tons of movement and a lot of mature deer. Yeah. But when you're seeing two or three, two and a half year olds about every sit. Yeah. And you're sitting in, we're sitting in some pretty good spots around some bedding thickets we've cut where you expect good
1: movement. It's. It's a lot but, of really really nice young deer. Yeah. And and, and there are there are mature there are mature deer on the farm. Yeah, but they are at a stage where with some of the stuff in the works where we're really trying to maximize potential out of these deer. So these deer 140 inch three and a half year old is going, we're going to let that deer walk because we want to see him next year. And some of them we have to take into account their attitude, too,
2: where you see that this deer is really, really mobile yeah yeah it's got a little more chance of yeah getting a shot shoot the
1: wanderers and leave the homebodies be (laughs) that's
2: but and that's what we've talked about we were going to get into talking about the habitat side of it and the differences we've seen over the years and how i mean we talk about being frustrated at times in the hunting of seeing a couple two and a half really nice two and a half year old deer every time we hunt and We're not that far removed on our property from...
1: Five years ago, we had no mature deer. Yeah. And now we have several. Um, We had more last year. We're still waiting on a couple to show up that usually go MIA and show up sometime in late October, November. Big show being one of them. Um, Short dog being another one. Don't know where those deer are at. Um, They haven't showed up. But uh, it's also been a very pitiful... Early November, yeah, and not only pitiful, but we haven't hunted as hard as a lot of people do because for a lot of reasons, cameras and just not a lot of scraping activity in general just doesn't seem like they're really doing it. And it's not just our experience; it's what we're dealing with, talking to our neighbors, our friends who are hunting the same area. They're all going, "I don't know what's going on," but they're not doing it. And you know, that's what you and I were kind of discussing tonight in tree stands. Mm -hmm. It's
2: one of those where, you know, cameras aren't everything. Obviously, the cameras don't pick up all the movement. And we could very easily go into some of these saddles that are traditionally really good. And we might have a chance at seeing donuts. But more than likely, some of these really nice three-and-a-half-year-olds that we're on the fence about that will be really hard to pass. But there's a reason... The reason we're staying out of there is
1: to not affect the
2: benefits we've seen in the past of of staying out of there. Yeah, we it's it's kind of a, a process of one of those that we could very easily go in there, but we could make this farm take two or three steps back.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. You could go in to see. It could be really easy to get frustrated for not seeing deer and go the heck with it. Let's go to Ruby Ridge. There's yeah. deer
2: all over Ruby Ridge. Let's go to the tree. The tree Let's always, go to the tree. The tree
1: never fails. And, you know, if we went to the tree, for example, northwest wind is typically what we hunt the tree on. That's blowing the wind southeast, which southeast of the tree is where we believe Donuts' core area is. Not a good move. No. And we could say, you know, I'm just not seeing deer. I'm just not seeing the deer. Let's go up there and we're see not, a bunch of deer. We're not
2: seeing their classic rut action. We're yeah. Not, we're not seeing bucks chasing and, and all that stuff. I, w- I want to see some of that.
1: So our fall is really consisted of, when it comes to the Prairie Hollow property, the property right next to the family farm, focused on one deer, donuts, and everything else can can have at it. Yeah. And we might shoot a straggler who comes in that we don't know. We might shoot uh, <laughs> The Keith Hammerbuck, as we call him. Keith is a guy with Stratton Seed Company, actually, and almost shot this deer last year, but he got in too close for it before they made a the decision to shoot him, and he slipped through his finger. So it's just easy to call him Keith Hammerbuck. That deer is there. And he's not a huge deer, but he's mature. And, uh, I mean, he's 115 probably, maybe. I don't nice. know. The problem is he has a real gimped up back hoof, uh, back leg, and – uh He's just not doing real good. And it's affected his antlers. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that's that's one of the examples of hunting very patient, of going, we could go, and go to an area. There's two places on the farm right now where the deer are always at, Brushy Bottom, Ruby Ridge. There's a lot of deer in those areas. And neither one of them have donuts. Hmm. And neither one of them really have a mature deer there. So we just have stayed out. Yeah. And we're trying to grow our population and get more deer on the farms. If, if so we're Big not show, really targeting a ton of does. If Big Show were to
2: show up, there's a pretty good chance that's where he would be, is around Ruby Ridge. That's right. So we're just staying out until we get pictures of something that we want to go in yep. after. And it's it's one of those that, I mean, think back when we were out of college, making the long walks in, oh. up into there. We, I mean we would be in in all of those areas.
1: In we the would walk right through all of them throwing every the morning, old, throwing
2: the climbers on our backs and walking up in there at daylight.
1: That's right. And so there's definitely a lot has changed for the benefit. I mean, yeah. let's go back and talk a little bit about um you know, let's say 2008. 2008. We're hunting the we're hunting these two farms because we we hunted the family farm forever. We started hunting this place in probably 2008. I don't remember. And uh, you know, let's just describe the process. Was say <laughs> park at the gravel road, walk all the way up to the very back, three quarters of a mile we, hike. We
2: thought we were doing ourselves a benefit by walking in. Not yeah. driving in at all. We would park on either end, four guys, three guys, hiking in all together and splitting up across the logging roads. And it was all closed canopy timber, wide open. You could see, a lot of those places you could see 100 yards through the woods, if yeah. not 200 And we're talking yards. about
1: small diameter at breast height trees.
2: Yeah. But most
1: and, of them less than eight inches, it seems yeah. like.
2: Not, I mean, the trees we were hunting in were the bigger trees. Yeah. On years where there were a lot of acorns, you would see decent deer movement, but it generally consisted of spikes and horns. Yes. I mean.
1: Yearling, immature deer. This
2: time of year, we would get all excited because we'd see what now is probably the two and a half year old deer that we're (laughs) seeing now. I remember
1: when you saw two and a half years, like, man, yeah, I saw a really nice eight pointer. I mean, he wasn't huge. But he was a nice eight pointer, and it's like now we're seeing nice eight pointers all the time.
2: Yeah. Like well, not all the time, but most of the time, pretty regular. When
1: we go into a good spot, it's like there's a good deer.
2: Yeah. And you expect to see them.
1: You expect to see them. If you don't see them, it's like, well, I know they're on camera. Like they're here. Yeah. We just they didn't get to the food plot, or they didn't come through in time for dark. Um, so a lot of our hunting, really, once deer season hit, we joked about it becoming a desert because there was no deer. They just vanished. And you didn't have any late season success One, because what food could they eat? All the acorns were ate up and they didn't have anything to eat.
2: After after the first day of gun season, our hunting consisted of deer drives. Deer We'd drives. sit in the evenings, but how many deer did we actually see sitting? Not and many. We weren't the most, I mean, we're still not the most patient of Deer hunters, but I mean,
1: it was deer drives were how you saw. I think deer. if somebody hunted with us, they would call us patient. That's for sure. Like I- in this approach of how we approach our farm, we're yeah. not patient people, but we have tremendous patience for the way we hunt our farm. Yeah. Like our our approach is not a. It's like rust on steel. We don't we don't like sledgehammer our way through the farm. We like corrode away at it and chip away at it, and eventually, well, and w- eventually the target deer we're hunting makes a mistake, moves during daylight, and we cap and we get him. There's there's different types of patience. We're patient and and going in
2: instead of being patient of going and riding the hole and sitting in the spot yeah. day after day after day and really pushing the deer
1: hard. No, well, I I do not like. Riding the hole, I, I do not like the approach for a private landowner, for a person who's hunting the same farm over and over. Now, if if we're hunting public land, that's what we'll touch on in a second. Um, it's totally different. Throw it out the window. We're going to hunt. That's why we enjoy public land because it's like, who cares? Well, and if I'm not going to sc- if if I don't screw it up, the next guy that's that's yeah. sitting there parked in the parking lot will. So I can get aggressive. I can hunt this deer. The way that I would love to hunt him on my own farm but if I hunted that way on my own farm by October I'd be hunting nothing because I'd pushed them all off on the neighbors yeah. it's just not a smart way when you're trying to hunt a farm multiple for a very long period of time
2: yeah and that's it's it's also one of those that it's not a one there's not one key to the deer management this way yeah. keeping your farm fresh like that. You can't just – we can't hunt like that and expect, oh, yeah, everything – we're going to have big deer. Uh-huh. Because, obviously, four or five years ago, we'd been hunting this way for a while and yeah still had nothing.
1: <laughs> still had nothing, yes. And,
2: and can't – I mean, the other one, we can't just plant food plots and expect that to happen either. We've been planting food plots for how long?
1: Yeah, and, and part of that, like – we planted food plots when I was 11, so 21 years ago, we planted food plot, or a food plot. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? We've been planting we, food plots for 21 and years. And we planted, you name the
2: species, the plant species, we've planted the, the, the combinations of all kinds of stuff. The newest
1: thing that I think we plant is that, like, blance of fixation or yeah. uh, frosty briseem, something like that. Uh, but by the time Sunday we planted
2: that, we realized it's not some secret Secret plant that's going to all of a sudden make big bucks show up.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one thing where for a private landowner to consider of how do I, like, I I want more big deer. I want more of them. To me, food plots and the correlation with more big deer is you have big deer or target bucks who their home range overlaps on your farm and at some point during the fall, your food plot is the best food source in the neighborhood, so he's there. And then how often do you hear people talk about, yeah, he moved off during late winter? Well, the food plot became less attractant. It was more consumed, so he had to go to the next food source or, to find it.
2: Or the other side of it is, yeah, he's coming to my food plot, but it's at midnight.
1: Yeah, well, he's what traveling for does two does miles. good does not do you if
2: the deer's there at midnight every night?
1: Yeah. He's traveling. He's got his bedding area over there two miles on the neighboring property, and he has to, for safety reasons, wait till whenever and then hightail it all the way over to your food plot.
2: How many times do you see the post on social media of uh, game camera pictures of a big buck in the dark? How do I get this thing to move in the daylight?
1: Yeah, more cover, more security. I mean, it's really like – That's the biggest – one of the biggest takeaways on this podcast is if you want more big deer on your property, food plots is a way to attract them. But habitat restoration is a way to grow them and keep them, and the food plots is a way to kill them. It's really like – that's why we pound this and pound this and pound this that – Food plots is a hunting strategy. It is not a habitat tool. It is not habitat management because habitat is, by definition, uh, something like a natural ecosystem for animals. And food plots are not, not a naturally occurring um, ecosystem, uh, how, a, a thing in an ecosystem. How
2: many times have we sat
1: on sat
2: on food plots because
1: we had deer using
2: them so it was one we would sit on them and you watch deer in edge feathering on the edges or places that we've tsi'd off to the edge eat that stuff eat leaves yeah <clears throat> stand there for all afternoon and then 30 minutes before dark come out in the food plot
1: matt and i saw a really nice two and a half year old eight pointer last week and uh we were in one of the saddles he came he came screaming over the hill and uh he stopped right in the road, and he started browsing. You know what he was eating? Mm, blackberry leaves? Yep. Matt tell you? No. Oh, really? It's just this time of year. It seems yeah. like I'd... They eat a lot of blackberry leaves. And you're thinking, blackberry? Like, we're trying to bush hog those down and get those out of the field. Like, they eat a lot of blackberry bushes.
2: And it's not even the young tender ones. No. I mean, these are, like, starting Laxy, to turn.
1: Waxy, like, it had already had a frost on it, and... You still eat. Look like enjoying it. <laughs> and uh and and to me so the food plots that's the biggest thing that you can take away is like if you want more big deer or you want just you just want to better your chances at shooting a bigger buck. It's like to me the foundation of of it all is thinking in the smallest of details. Like if you want to be successful in something, you always have to focus on the details. You make great, you do really good with its fine details, and then you build upon that and you make this wonderful thing that's all great. But if you think big picture, it's like, i got to have food plots, got to have food plots, got to have food plots, it's, and it's not got a good foundation.
2: It's very easy to get very single-minded Yeah. In, in habitat management where it's like, well, I'm going to plant food plots, and people focus solely on food plots, and they hunt food plots. And then they're disappointed where they don't see what, what they think they ought to be seeing.
1: Yeah. Or it's all nighttime activity.
2: Or it's people they might plant food plots but they focus on their hunting strategies and and use and hunt patiently like we're talking about. But don't focus on the cover and actual habitat. Yeah. It should get stuck in that and then get discouraged. And it's one in the same sense then it's also easy. This isn't an overnight. That's the that's the the draw of food plots and stuff like that. If you watch ads, it seems like Instant food plots are an overnight success. I'm yeah. going to plant food plots one year, and I'm going to have big bucks coming in in the daylight.
1: I'm going to throw it on the ground, and it's going to germinate and then grow.
2: Yeah, and the first day I go out there, I'm going to shoot a booner. Yeah, Oops. because
1: it's on the bag. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's
2: very easy. I mean, it's a trap. How many years? How many years have we eaten tag soup?
1: Oh, a lot.
2: How? And then the other side of it is, how many years have we tagged a deer, but it's not been on, on the a farm? food plot? Oh, it's not a, been on the farm. Yeah. <clears throat> you look at I look at the deer that I've killed and like European manager mounted, mounted. There aren't very many of them off the farm.
1: Nope. It's I got two, I think, off the farm. Yeah, and 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 I mean, it's getting a lot better. Yeah, and that, that's <laughs> the, the, the expectations are the like we'd pass some deer that I know there's a lot of people that'd be like, oh my gosh, like, and there's a reason because take Donuts, for example, two years ago he was called Flair, um, and he was a 115 inch, 120 inch eight pointer,
2: maybe sometimes. They weren't passed intentionally either. We just didn't yeah. get a chance at him. We didn't get a chance We, we just shot him last
1: we year. Just sh- we just shot him two years ago as a three-and-a-half-year-old. I remember going, he's a nice deer. We'd probably shoot him. Yeah. As a three-and-a-half-year-old, as a three-and-a-half-year-old, who's, you know, you throw out stats saying he's expressing 75% of his antler growth potential, let's say. And he's gr- he's 115-inch eight-pointer. Well, I'm – I mean, Uh, hold on. Let me finish that thought. Or let me finish that because how many times do you see guys like, well, if you're going to shoot one, shoot those eight-pointers because they're always going to be like that. As a -a three-and-a-half-year-old eight-pointer, he was nothing. He was a, pardon me, but he was a turd. He was not a good deer. Like, he was kind of like, he's an okay deer, um, but, you know, he's nothing special. And then as a four-year-old, he turns into this 135, 140 class clean eight-pointer that's just a really nice deer. But then when I picked up his shed this spring, what did I tell you? I think the first time you asked me how good it was, I said, yeah, it's okay. It's a nice deer, but it's nothing spectacular. As a a four-and-a-half-year-old, supposed to be expressing 90% of his antler growth potential. Now, there are exceptions, and he definitely is an exception. Now... As a five and a half year old, he could be a booner. He's exploded. It blew up, and I mean, Bef- there's people that talk. I know, I know people like Mark Drury, Lee Lacoste, guys in Iowa. It's like five and a half. Get them to five and a half, then we know who they are. Um, sometimes we might even give them another year and go to six and a half. And I mean, I'm not advocating. Hey, let all your deer go to five and a half. But no. I think if you own land, you write the rules. Well, You're the one who gets to pick who shoots what. First, I
2: <clears throat> I've got a question that I'll ask after this because I want to get into what's changed in, in that. But the first other example is, how long ago did we have that deer we called Alpha on the farm? The very first deer we ever had that got to like four and a half that we knew four and a half years old.
1: Well, there's a reason why it was called uh um sorry, I just had a message come through where a guy says he's probably headed to a conservation area. We hunted a lot um next week. Kinda of funny, but um and he lives in Idaho. But uh anyway, um Alpha was named Alpha because he was like we had him at two and a half, we had him at three and a half. Do you remember where we had him all the time? Old food plot. Yeah. We wouldn't even think about hunting old food plot right yeah. now. Because it's just like an afterthought. And that was what, when he was two
2: and a half, that was the best deer we had. And you think back and you need to, you've talked about going through our pictures and showing what we had. find them all. But not even 80 inch deer, not even 80. Yeah. Two and a half year old, the late point. And it's one of those we thought, oh, we just got to get them older. We get them older. We're planting food plots. We're going to see a difference in them. And we'd already started cutting some. A little bit of T S I around on the farm, but not not really large scale. By the time he turned four and a did he turn into? A one twenty eight pointer. <laughs> and we were like
1: Find Alpha. We, we gotta, gotta get kill alpha. him. We gotta yeah. kill
2: him. Yeah. And he really and that was an example of a mature deer that he would have never done much more. Yeah. And we could have very easily been like
1: The thing about body size too. Oh you tank of a body at that I mean, we thought a tank for that compared point to in everything our, else. Yeah. At that point in our in our management and hunting and everything it was like, My gosh, he's a huge body compared to the others. He'd he like a chimp compared we, to Donuts now. We could
2: have very easily though been discouraged with that. Yep. And decided We don't know what happened to that deer. That's all our deer ever do. Well, you know, I saw him that one gun season when he was four and a half and he was limping, and that, yeah. was, that was like 2012. Was that when the EHD hit oh. all over? Because <clears throat> right. killed we killed a couple deer that had sloughed off hooves. We, yeah. we didn't have the deer population to have it really affect us. Yeah. You know, places around that had high deer populations and had tons of deer die. Yeah. We just had a couple like that. And I, he had a limp, so that's, we kind of guessed that probably he just died somewhere over winter. But he was one fifteen, one twenty, and that's it. It would have been very easily get discouraged. Yeah. And been like, our deer just don't get that big. That's eight points, they get one ten, one twenty. That's as big as a deer are gonna get. I mean, we could have very easily thought that with flair. Yeah. But from flare at two and a half, three and a half to five and
1: a half. The habitat has changed. No, oh, habitat has changed <clears throat> tremendously. And not just like, and I've got this in the show notes, but our habitat has gone from terrible to poor or okay, depending on what part we're talking about. Pretty good in some places. Yeah. But that's only been in the last two years. Really the last year. The timber operation, TSI, and burning. That's it. And that's
2: even on the farm. I mean, that was... Well, we said 2012, so that's seven years ago, when that deer was four and a half. We'd been chainsawing, I'd been cutting TSI in places, but it's still like when you go into some of the places I cut, it's still pretty close timber. It's pretty close
1: canopy. Back on the farm. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. When we used to when we used to TSI or go in there, there was so many stems per acre though that like we would cut and cut and cut and cut and think we're doing so good. And you, you, we saw a difference in the timber. It but was, it's all closed up now. It was
2: what needed. Uh-huh. But it needs, it. you can't, a lot of places you can't go into just TSI and expect it to be what you want.
1: Yeah.
2: TSI is a step. Yeah. You go in and TSI it to have your crop trees grow to where then you can come back and make some money on a harvest. Yeah. And that's what we're, I mean, that's the next step on yeah. a lot of that stuff. Because we could, I wish we'd, we've. Talked and talked about it. I wish we'd have taken measurements of some of that stuff when we were first cutting, but we were so young and eager to just we just wanted cut to cut down trees and us. see the difference. Yeah, but you can go into those places and see a difference. It's yep. not it's not a foot deep of leaves and that's it. I mean, there's actually some stems in there that have brows. Yeah, it's just not what we want yet. Yeah, but where donuts is living.
1: He's living all over.
2: He's living in recently logged stuff and yep.
1: and stuff that we've TSI'd. When you think about all the pictures we've gotten of him this year, he's really either coming or going to an area that's been logged. Mm-hmm. I missed him on October the twelfth, and that was about as far north away from the logging as. We've seen him.
2: We've had pictures of him in that. But when we talk yeah. core area, we're like,
1: he's in some of the logging stuff. And he's in he, he's in one of the hardest places to get yep. on the whole farm. And that's why people, I get texts daily asking me about donuts or messages. How's donuts? How, where's donuts? You been getting any pictures of donuts? And I'm like, I am. But it's like, you know, it's like that criminal that's backed up into a a house or somewhere that you just can't get him without the only thing you can do is smoke him out i guess that's what we'd have to do to get him out of there smoke him out because
2: when you describe i you know you've kind of described the properties we hunt to on on the podcast some yeah i don't think
1: anybody could even picture how steep and rugged and beautiful this place is yeah
2: and it's but when you look at like tv show hunting we've hunted northern missouri a lot You've you've filmed some in Iowa. It's a totally different animal. And you can say that time and time again, but until you have somebody in there daily hunting and getting frustrated by walking out at eight in the morning like we did this morning because the wind was going the exact wrong direction that they said it was going to be, you don't...
1: I relate more with television elk hunters than I do television whitetail hunters. Because television elk hunters are talking about thermals and swirly winds and elk smelling them. That's what I relate to. I don't relate to, oh, here's a, hell yeah, we sit up in the stand, the wind's beautiful, we don't even they don't even talk about it because it's not even a problem. Yeah. The, and, the, and, <laughs> and and uh, all the consulting that Matt and I have done, there's only certain regions that I'd say, yeah, this is similar. Um, and, and a lot of times I have clients that'll say, like, oh yeah, it's, we have to deal with thermals just like you do, and I'm like, how? Like, this is Flat ground. Comp- yeah. This is rolling. This isn't steep. This is rolling. <laughs> well,
2: when a warm day does, your scent go straight up in the air.
1: Yeah, s- yeah. Uh, West Virginia. Yeah, I mean, you have to go to the stinking Smoky Mountains or the. Yeah.
2: And it's it's <clears throat> I I mean down in Arkansas where I work, it's the same way. A lot of the mountains, the the only difference that that you don't have to deal with there, is you have pine as a backdrop. A lot of times you know we used to hunt in climbers and how many times do we have deer pick us off on the side of the hill
1: oh all the the side of the tree
2: skyline you especially now that the leaves are off i mean they would they would spot you all the time and it's why we've went to lock-ons and now saddles and everything else to try to break our outline up and it sounds like we're just complaining about how (laughs) we have to hunt but it's kind of tough for people to even picture it until you Actually, go through hunting day and yeah. day out, and
1: it's a school of hard knocks when it comes to hunting. I, I believe, like it's really you really have to focus on thermal, and that's why the patience comes. I mean, it's October 9th and we climb down at eight o'clock. There's some people that probably think we're crazy, but at the same time, it's like if we want to have fresh hunting and still consistently good hunting, and know that we're in the game. In January or December, we have to hunt smart in September and October and November. It's like you can't get greedy and ride the hole. You can't finally just get frustrated and say, let's go. I'm tired of waiting around. Because if you do that, you can hunt patiently for a month, and you can throw it all in the drain by getting really aggressive in a week of hunting.
2: It also emphasizes, though, the habitat work of cutting the bedding thickets, doing the TSI in places strategically to where, when you have the good wind, you know more consistently where the deer are going to be. I mean, there was a time that we hunted the wind and did all that, but still had deer come downwind of us because they wandered over 400 acres and you didn't know what direction they were going to come from. Yeah, You could guess and say, well, most of the deer come from east north and west so i want my wind to go to the south of me but as soon as you did you'd have a deer come yeah wandering up eating acorns from the south
1: yeah so you know going back we used to have to do deer drives long hikes hunting i remember as a kid following dad or even a even a young teenager going with dad to hunt places that was like do we know who owns this oh yeah yeah it was like I never been here in my life, but that it was like it was almost like nomadic type hunting where we had to go out and find the herds of deer that had migrated because they'd been driven out and poached out everywhere around us. Um, and now it's like if we continue to hunt this way, there's a good chance we'll kill Donuts. And if we don't kill him before then, we can kill him in January when he's coming to the food plots late season. Like, I'm not worried about
2: it. If we don't kill him this year, we've got to a chance next year. And then we're only scratching the surface on the habitat work.
1: Oh, scratching the surface. And, and, you know, one thing we talked about, we have a great batch of two-and-a-half-year-old bucks. Next year, they're going to be – we're going to lose some. That's just the way nature works. But we're going to have a great batch of three-and-a-half-year-olds. And we have a great batch of three-and-a-half-year-olds this year. Next year, we're going to have a really good batch of four-and-a-half-year-olds. And, and you're going to lose some.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those you just count on that.
1: Yeah, but the better you the also habitat. keep in
2: your mind, you've got great habitat. You're going to lose some deer, but you're growing more of them. You're you're adding more deer. You've got more two and a halfs coming up. At some point,
1: yep. you
2: start to see a difference, and that's what it can be very frustrating for multiple years. Yeah, because we've been through it. Yeah. But there's a lot at
1: the end of the tunnel. There's a lot of guys that probably think like I've heard this like, ah yeah, but this is not Missouri. It's like Missouri that you see on television is not the Missouri that we hunt. I don't know how strongly I can emphasize that because you'll see Missouri represented on the outdoor channel in a very cropland big buck habitat. And it ain't the Ozark Mountains. No. And uh but we're changing that. And hopefully we're changing that to a point where people can understand that $4,000 an acre ground in northern Missouri grows big deer. But $1,200 an acre ground in southern Missouri grows big deer too. It just takes the knowledge and knowing what to do and how to make the biggest bang for your buck, no pun intended. Takes a little patience. Takes a little patience. It may take a little bit longer, but at the end of the day there's more diversity in southern missouri and in our ecosystem than crop ground monocultures of northern missouri and uh i overall i think the price per acre and the overall i don't know i'm a i'm a mountain man i like the mountains of the rolling hills of the ozarks and so uh i think it's beautiful and it's something that we're working on at i think Five years from now, ten years from now, we look back and say, you can take rough ground almost anywhere and make it what you want. It just might take more work, more understanding of the ecosystem, and how to restore it. But overall, it can be done. And I think our farm is a great example of that. Well, <laughs> we're growing a deer that's got a—I don't know—he's over two hundred on the hoof. Like he's a giant body. Oh yeah giant body well like he would look like an iowa i I say that but i legitimately mean i think this deer would probably be close to 230 to 250 on the hoof would you agree i would say probably close to that i mean mean, that's a a, stud cut the antlers off he's a stud just body wise and then he's a 170 caliber buck um and he's he's like you just look at him you're like There's no way that's a southern Missouri deer, but it is. And the best thing is, I mean, this week we had a deer come by. uh, I had a deer come by last night. I saw it on the hill coming down, like, oh, here comes a doe. Came down. It was a button buck. And you know how button bucks, first deer on the field, they're like little runts. This thing had a big body as for a button buck, where it was like, I had to do a double look, like, that's a button buck, and he's got a big body. Well, you think of what? And then
2: donuts grew up the i mean when he's a year and a half old deer what his habitat consisted of oh it's terrible terrible so it's like you get to these deer that are growing up in this stuff now it really excites you to think of what that deer can look
1: like at four and a half yeah what is that doe who's the mama to a buck like uh donuts She's now making a living in all this tia woodland setting with all this native vegetation. Food is not short. Uh, there's not a shortage of food year-round. There's woody browse through the winter. There's native vegetation and food plots through the spring, summer, fall. Like, she's she's well-fed.
2: But then, also in habitat management, what's another effect of that? If she's got more food... Rather than that single fawn she's dropping. Oh, she's
1: dropping twins. Or triplets. Or triplets.
2: So, that really emphasizes the fact to keep the habitat where it's at, we're going to have to jump on top of the does. Yeah. And be keeping them at a reasonable level and not be greedy and wanting to see 20 deer a
1: night. Yeah. There's there's like a, a, a three parts of, of being a, a deer manager. There's, you know... P- you might struggle and and not be great at managing the habitat and you just don't have a lot of deer. That's one way. You're you're kind of you're not doing a great job. You're getting a C a C C+ because you have deer that're just not thriving because you haven't put the habitat there for them to live. Then you've got the guy who's put the habitat there. Everything's in place. He's got a very balanced um habitat to deer population. Then there's the guy who tries to manage the habitat or started managing the habitat started seeing all the deer got fell in love with seeing all the deer and then just let it go woof like he's driving down the highway and he completely missed the exit to where you want to stop and he's just cruising along now his deer eating him out of house and home and that could be that doesn't even have to be an overnight thing that doesn't have to be a three or
2: four sometimes even poor habitat can be overloaded with deer just purely by a lack of killing deer yeah you can have terrible habitat plant food plots and in 20 years all of a sudden have way overpopulation of deer way above your carrying capacity and think i've got great habitat here i've got i've got a ton of deer and in reality you've just quit shooting does all together and and let them slowly build a population to the point where they're way overloaded and there's even less food because your food plots are eating into the dirt, and there's no native browse for them because they've eaten that as soon as it even tries to green up.
1: What was it, Aldo Leopold said? He talked about the wolves and the deer and the relationship with the mountain. Um, It's something like um, you need the wolves to eat some of the deer so the deer don't eat the mountain, and then once they eat the mountain, then other animals leave. It's like there has to be that balance. It's like too many deer is a bad thing. Yeah,
2: and you can get yourself into that really quick if you get your habitat really good to where your does are really putting out fawns Mm. and you get in the trying to be patient in your hunting and stay out and not pressure them at all yeah, and only be shooting bucks and all of a sudden you've got your way overload with does again.
1: Yeah. It's all in a balance. Focus on one big buck, yeah. And And it's something that's like, Every year you have to be addressing, okay, this year I might need more native vegetation. I need to improve the habitat. You should be doing that anyway. But it's like, okay, I need I need more food, native vegetation, because I can see the deer herd population is growing. But at the same time, you better be shooting some does, because if you, it's like you're always trying to do two things. You're juggling. You've got to be shooting does. Keeping and the pressure down. Keeping the pressure down. Shooting does. Keeping your hunting pressure down. And... At the same time, improving the habitat to where you have more food. Woo! No wonder people get so confused. Well, then you get
2: to the fact of, you guys haven't done Would You Rather in a while, but I've got one for you.
1: Okay, let's hear it.
2: Would You Rather. Man,
1: I forgot all about that. That was really popular. People love that. Would You
2: Rather. I'll go with a a little smaller. Would You Rather kill a 160-inch deer on... The property we're talking about in the next five years. Yeah. Or in the next, by by five years from now, be able to hear at least a covey of quail whistling every morning that you're sitting.
1: Oh, the, co- the quail, hands down. Don't even have to think about it. Because something. I know if we have that many quail, the habitat <laughs> is freaking phenomenal to where... Uh, 160s are going to be yeah. there. Like that's the thing. Like I don't focus on the deer because I'm going to look at a species that's struggling. That that really keys in on quality habitat. To where if there's a covey of quail almost every morning, that we're I, I that would be very dangerous to have that.
2: And see, I, I guess I should say I, I asked that pointedly because I wanted to emphasize. We've sat here for how long? Uh, Fifty minutes, probably. And talked up like solely about deer management and deer habitat and i wanted to point out that both of us would be the same way on the quail thing where yeah we're we're die hard about this bow hunting and trying to kill big deer but we also have that i mean we've text with the decline in them we've text every morning or evening this week on Heard turkeys again tonight. Yeah. Heard turkeys again tonight. I mean, that was normally just a throw it in the rug. Oh, heard turkeys again. Oh, almost we just heard an turkeys an, again.
1: Almost an annoyance sometimes. You got,
2: you got numb to it until yeah. you don't hear it as much. And you're like, huh, where are the turkeys at?
1: Yeah.
2: And all of a sudden it's like, oh, we heard turkeys. We heard two groups of turkeys. We heard three groups of turkeys. And it's like, hmm, maybe this habitat work isn't just making deer blow up from four and a half to five and a half. It's also seeing an increase in turkeys already.
1: I feel like if you focus and you're like, I'm going to do everything in my power to get three coveys of quail on my 500 acres. Let's just say. If you did everything in your power to do that, you could have 150 class deer or whatever for your neighborhood the peak to where you've got a big deer for your neighborhood. Now, if you were to say, "I want one," f- I want peak of the deer, and I did all that work, you might not even have one single quail show up. Because it's just it's a it's easier to get those deer to that than it is to get those quail on your place. And easier.
2: It's, it's one that I don't. I, I'm sure you're the same way. But anytime I go through this stuff. All this habitat work we're doing, TSI, anything else, there's a lot of times that I spend more time thinking, I, how we don't have a covey of quail in this? Yeah. This this looks great. I mean, we said it tonight.
1: Don't ask that question because it's going to be a bad answer. Yeah. There's just not that many to <laughs> come around. That's what... Here's a question. Oh, would you rather for you? Would you rather have the chance of shooting 180-inch deer with lower populations of deer to where you might see a few here and there like every set you might see a couple or five or six. Or would you rather see 10 15 deer and know that you're going to see you're going to see some good deer. You're going to have some good bucks, but you're never going to have that giant. Or you might have that giant, but it's not as common as a lower. I'll take
2: the first. No, no I would too. But you should preface that with It's easier, in my mind, it's easier for me to do that because I went through years of eight, nine, ten sits in a row and not see a deer. Yeah. To where, still to this day, I mean, said it tonight when we saw that younger buck, huh, didn't get skunked. Yeah. I mean, we're still at that point where it's like, yeah. It's a, and it, it's a good hunt if you didn't get skunked.
1: And it would really be a lot differently this uh, – it would go a lot differently this fall if we had that rain from August to September to where our food plots were great. We got roasted, like the worst possible conditions for food plots. And it's like – I know if we had quality food plots, especially that bottom field was luscious green cover crop we'd have a lot more deer used in the farm. They wouldn't be chasing acorns up in the woods nearly as much because they'd take the easy food source. But that's just the way the cookie crumbled this fall. You it could be totally different next year. We're working on gaining access to some other properties in the area. and
2: You can't control the weather. No. You do what you can, can and adjust.
1: Yeah, that's right. So hopefully hopefully this motivates you guys. Um, shoot us an email, info at TV. Um, guys, if that doesn't, we've had some guys say that they're having trouble with that. Shoot us a message on Instagram or Facebook and, uh, we'd love to help you guys any way we can be staying tuned up. Some big announcements coming in December, most likely, or right at the beginning of the year. Please leave us a review. Check out our YouTube channel. A lot of videos going up. Um, Chad, you just had your recent video go up. I don't know what in the world for you guys that have watched it. You'll hear weird audio mixed in there. I don't know what in the world happened, but I'm the editor, and Matt and I are the only real, like, we're the day. We're we're public relations. We're customer service. We're the the, uh, uh, faces. We do it all. We're the janitors, um, I guess. Probably not good janitors, our wives would say, but um, we do it all. And so editing, you know, I, I put that on YouTube. And I think you told me, Chad, you're like, I don't know if you heard that. And I'm like, too late now, and I could care less. I just want to get done because I got reports I got to write. So, anyway, guys, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We appreciate it. And- yeah. Yeah.